What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Holy Shit Pod. Today, Katie, Sam, and I are taking a deep dive into the world of pop culture, entertainment, and music. It's summertime, and I'm having a hot boy summer, so we gotta have fun. Are you ready? I am. Well, let's get into it. Oh my God, I cannot wait to talk about this. Oh, what? before you get into it, one thing that I wanted to say, Katie is that if you could please get Kat some internet. Like, I don't know what's going on in North Carolina. Seriously, there's no internet here. I mean, like, we're a half mile away from, like, fiber. See, I know y'all white, because black folks will find a way to have that fiber at their house. I'm just telling you. Listen. (laughs) I don't know how she functions with this. It's okay. She doesn't record podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Well... Can you hear Katie? No, not at all. She's out. I just turned off the video to see if that would help a little bit. It does. It does. That does help a lot. I can hear you now. For yeah. real. Can you hear us? I can. Excellent. We just won't see you. I want you to go, caca, every time you want to speak so that we know that you're trying to get in there. Caca. Like that? Oh, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. Caca. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Jesus. I don't like her. <laughs> this is this is gonna be great. <laughs> this is gonna be great. <sighs> sorry. Carry on. <laughs> I am the holy mother shut your mouth, the most reverend archbishop and prelate, Brandon Thomas Maxwell, and I happen to be the archbishop of our one true church of holy shit. <laughs> Sam, he just took your title. He just called himself the prelate. Well, the archbishop is the prelate. I'm the most potent prelate. Oh, the most potent prelate. I don't yes. know. Yes. I don't want to know about your potency, <laughs> um, but I am Katie Ritz. <laughs> I don't know what I what my title is. I wanted to be an apostle. With a T. With a T. <laughs> I support your T. Apostle. <laughs> I am the only real minister on this podcast. I am Pastor Sam. So good to uh to be with you all today. Oh, you're gonna be humble. <laughs> uh, no, not, not humble. You're gonna be humble because the black people don't pronounce the H. It's humble. 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 That's my grandmama say. Before we get into today's church announcements, one quick reminder, we are getting closer to our 25th episode and we want you to be a part of that experience. We received a few more voice recordings last week and we are extremely grateful to all of you who have submitted something so far. Please head over to theolabmedia.com. Look for a purple hexagon. Mm, that bitch left. <laughs> I, I almost left myself. <laughs> <laughs> her internet just kicked her out. She ain't got no internet. Ooh, this is going to be a mess. She just texts, I'm not with you anymore. Duh. Katie's here today, but not really. She's been in and out because her internet is uh, on the struggle bus. So we're going to work this thing out the best way we can. And you will hear from Katie when her internet is working. And you won't hear from her when her internet is not working. If and whenever you hear Katie go silent, just start to plead the blood of Jesus all over her internet. <laughs> but back to that housekeeping, go to theolabmedia.com, click the purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen and send us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you and have you be a part of our 25th episode celebration. 
And now for some church announcements. Announcement number one. The head of the Mother's Board and Deaconess Ministry, Marla Gibbs, wants you to know that it is too damn hot for y'all to be celebrating her outside. Too hot? Last week, Mother Gibbs, who is most famous for the TV shows 227 and the Jeffersons, was finally given the long overdue honor of receiving a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. As she was offering her acceptance speech, she trailed off in her speech, appearing to faint while standing up, grabbing the podium. And would not let go. Ah, she wouldn't let go until it blessed her soul. Yeah. She stood there, passed out, standing up for what felt like an eternity, (laughs) awaiting someone to allow her to pass out comfortably on the ground. This is not funny. In a statement that followed the celebration, (laughs) her agent, Gary Purdy, said, Marla was overwhelmed with all the love and support she received and got overheated. She just needed a few minutes to cool down. Okay, Gary. So our senior mother and deaconess wants y'all to know the next time y'all want to give her an award, it needs to be inside and she needs to be seated. <laughs> they know they should be ashamed of themselves. Her age and the temperature was the same number. It was 90 degrees outside. She's 90 years old. They knew that that, they knew that, that wasn't going to work. For every, for every year, there was a degree and she liked to pass out. This was crazy. Like, I think the the craziest part was she had a grip on that podium. Her son kept saying, let go. Let go, Ma. Ma, I got you. Let go. She was like, it was like if God was trying to take her, she wasn't going. She wasn't ready. She was ready. She was like, no. Mm -hmm. Hell no. I'm getting my star today. (laughs) The only reason that I'm laughing about this is because she is okay. That's a lie. You are soulless. If she had died, you would still be laughing. I'm just saying. You are a liar. I would not laugh at her if she had died. You wouldn't laugh at her. You'd laugh at the situation. You would. Possibly. But... But it was so funny, though, because it was the most graceful thing I've ever seen. She just stopped mid-speech and closed her eyes. I honestly thought that she did pass away, and I was so scared at first. But then my partner, who was showing me the video, started laughing. I said, she must be alive because he don't laugh at people. (laughs) So it was a mess. And then I got the Tisha Campbell uh, Facebook Live. Did you watch that? I did watch the Tisha Campbell recording (laughs) from the crowd. it was interesting. <laughs> but you're wrong for laughing at that. But see, I love black people because you get to hear from the crowd what black people always do. I don't care what, if something happens, people automatically go into like prayer and all you hear is a bunch of Jesus, Jesus. Touch Jesus. Lord, touch Come Lord, on, touch Jesus. Help, ah, help, help, help. Oh, you're all right. In the name you of Jesus. You're all right. Ah. Oh, take your time. Get her right here. Oh, get her right here. Oh, you know, in the name I of mean, Jesus. Like, you would have swore you was at church. You would have <laughs> swore you was at church. It was a mess. It was a mess. And I don't feel like Tisha Campbell got a real prayer life because she was just repeating what she heard everybody else saying around her. (laughs) (laughs) In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Uh, Tisha, why were you there in the first place? Because she played your mother-in-law on My Wife and Kids. I didn't even know she played her mother-in-law on My Wife and Kids. Yeah, she played Marlon's mother on My Wife and Kids. And so I'm assuming that was the connection. And everybody else who was a contemporary other than Jack K, who she really don't like, is dead. You know Jack A and her had beef in the past. I didn't know they had beef. But I started watching 227 after this, after I watched this video. And I'm enjoying, uh, I I think I watched it as a child. And so, so much you miss. So much you don't really appreciate as a young person that I'm watching. I'm watching now and I'm like, this show is really good. It's so good. So the reason (laughs) they had beef, it was was like play beef, maybe play beef. But 227 was Marla's show. Mm -hmm. And then Jack A was cast. 
And she really kind of stole the spotlight from Marlon. Marlon was like, it was just like she was standing up there at that podium and that he tried to steal her thunder on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and Jack A tried to steal her thunder in 227. And the way that she held onto that podium is how she held onto the lead role in 227. She was not going to let go. Wasn't that Jack A's <laughs> debut? Like, wasn't that her first acting role? I think it was her first major acting role. I think that she had a couple of things before 227, but it is how she became to be known as the Jack A that we all know and love. <laughs> But Marla, we are glad that you are okay. And even though we have chuckled today, truly, this is a long overdue honor for Marla Gibbs. And I'm so glad that she has taken her place among the stars of Hollywood, of on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> Sound like you said she was among the stars? You you trying to kill her? I'm not trying After to kill her. After she survived the heat? She's What's wrong eaten. with you? She is yet alive. My God. So we have a second church announcement. We had a third one, but that was going to be coming from the white woman whose internet ain't working. So we just going to have two church announcements today, and then we're going to go straight into the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks be to pod. So we've received several calls from the We Two Saves to Live ministry requesting that the deacons board remove Pastor X, that's Lil Nas X, from his post as general overseer of music and worship arts at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints. This is in light of his new music video, Industry Baby. In a surprising turn of events, the deacons and trustees have refused to consider this request from the members. In fact, they have offered the We Too Save ministry a giant middle finger by elevating Lil Nas X to global overseer of worship the deacons want you all to know that they have to keep Lil Nas X installed because what else would they watch in the wee hours of the morning when their homoerotic desires are most prevalent? You got issues. <laughs> <laughs> you know them deacons and stuff be sitting there watching them videos, getting excited and not knowing what to do about it. Oh my God. I feel like every straight man be watching Lil Nas X videos and that's why they be getting mad because they be feeling some kind of way. They be getting aroused. All right. Uh, <laughs> so the Lil Nas X video is interesting. And so we watched the, I watched like the, the teaser of that with the courtroom scene. And I was like, this is about to be something major coming. And so I actually just watched the video before we started this recording. And I feel like I need to watch it 20 more times to actually see all of the things that have been very intentionally incorporated into this video is so much. It's so much. We got to do a whole word of pod on this video, just like we did Montero. Oh, absolutely. Several YouTube users capture my sentiments on this video. YouTube user Dingleberry wrote, I don't have words to explain how it feels to see a gay mainstream artist just be so unapologetic about who he is and also produce hit after hit after hit. Zamian the Alien said, I'm going to tell my kids that this was the escape from Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> And Afro Liz said, now I know the only reason y'all bash this man is because y'all ain't in his sheets. And I get it. He fine. The one issue that I take with this video is the wearing of the pink. You're going to take an issue with the color pink? No, I'm not taking issue. I actually love the color pink. Oh. And so I'm just trying to figure out, is that like, are we stereotyping gay people and saying that they wear pink? I didn't read it that way, Samuel. What, then why did they choose pink? For the gay video. Why can't he wear pink if he want to wear pink? He can. I'm saying, was there a reason behind choosing pink? I mean, I think all of his work so far has been about not living into gender binaries. I think it's like the whole real men wear pink movement back in the day, which was a mess and was still rooted in hypermasculinity. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just him saying, I'm about to put on this hot pink stuff and paint my fingernails and just do what I want to do. If you want to wear hot pink, you can wear hot pink, Sam. You don't have to be gay to wear hot pink. I do wear hot pink. Why do you got an issue? Because I just wear it. I don't wear it. To say I'm straight. And you are entitled to continue doing this. 
if you haven't checked out Industry Baby or the brief trailer that preceded it, the links are in the show notes. Go ahead and get your whole life. Please go watch it. But no, Little Nas, Little Nas X, keep producing the hits, brother. Did you say Little Nas X? Are you channeling Katie? It's that white spirit. It's contagious. One thing I'm going to say, as young as Little Nas X is, as creative as Little Nas X is, as unapologetic as Little Nas X is, at the end of his journey, he is going to be, and probably already is on some level, one of the most prolific entertainers of all times. Look at what he's doing now. At how old is he? He's just 22. So he's 22 years old. Um, look at the hype around Montero Industry Baby. I think some of us forgot that he had a country hit. Like, he was on the charts with a country single. And they didn't want him to be. And this was a few years ago. So this was like 19. Yes. He's mainstream is the thing. And I'm I'm not somebody that's like, ooh, we, we, we need to be mainstream. We need to fight to be included in all these spaces. But there is something about a black, gay, young man at 22 years old breaking into this space, being who he is unashamedly. Like previously, I feel like this was only reserved for white women. We're going to do the, an entire word of pod just about Lil Nas X and his ministry to the saints next week. So tune in for that conversation. For now, let's go straight into the word of pod for the people of pod. But before we go there, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. So I probably don't know as much about this topic as Katie because, you know, she's a white woman. You guys asked me to do this damn show. I didn't. I just learned about this woman last night. Like she wasn't even on the real Mickey Mouse show. You said she was on the Mickey Mouse show. She was on the new Mickey Mouse show. He said Mickey Mouse Club. Mickey Mouse Club. But that was like the remake. So carry on. Katie said, I was around for the original Mickey Mouse. I was. I know when they broke Mickey Mouse and they drew the first Mickey. I was there. I knew Walt Disney. <laughs> personally. We graduated from the same high school. <laughs> okay, we're sorry, Kate. The Holy Shit Pod is brought to you by Theolab Media. Theolab exists to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, culture, and the world around them. If you enjoy what you hear, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Theolab Media and put a little offering in the love basket. We certainly will appreciate it. Put an offering in the love basket. (laughs) (laughs) So for today's Word of Pod, for the People of Pod discussion, we are talking about Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement. If you are unfamiliar with what's been happening, let me give you the quick lay of the land. So over the last few years, there have been a lot of legal battles, online protests about Britney Spears's independence from her father. In 2008, Britney's personal finances started being managed by her father and a lawyer. Her father's name is Jamie Spears. Her lawyer's name was Andrew Wallet. How convenient that his last name was Wallet so that he could have a place to hold all of her money. But all of this resulted in an online movement on behalf of the pop singer under the hashtag FreeBritney. If you don't know who Britney Spears is, what rock have you been living under for the last 20, 30 years? Britney Spears came to popularity around the age of 11. She was a member of the Mickey Mouse Club alongside of her pop singer colleagues, Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera, who have also achieved some level of notoriety and popularity in the culture. And she, of the three, is the only one who's had this sort of drastic turn of events related to a conservatorship that is run by her father and a gang of other characters. (laughs) So in March of 2019, Britney canceled her Vegas residency and announced an indefinite work hiatus. 
In that same year, Wallet resigned as the co-conservator of her estate and her person, making her father, Jamie Spears, the sole conservator of both Britney's person and her estate. I'll spare you all the details. You can click the links in the show notes to figure out the bold and the beautiful or the young and the restless plot line that's been developing behind the scenes. There's all kind of characters. There's executive conservators. There's a trust that's functioned as a co-conservator called the Bessemer Trust that then dropped out per Britney's wishes. And the point is, the narrative that we hear online is that Britney has no control over her life. Her father is a manipulative butthole and she doesn't want him to function as her conservator. So there's tons of legal battles around this. And if you just go to Instagram and click the hashtag free Britney, you will see a lot of white people talking about this. No tea, no shade. <laughs> Maybe a little tea and a little shade. We're a lot of shade. So Karen, when we first decided to talk about this, you went all in on it like the rest of your cousins. So what are you thinking? No. When you said that we were going to talk about it, I said, why in the hell are we going to spend any time talking about Britney Spears? You did. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. So, no, I didn't go in on it because I think of all the things going on in the world, Britney Spears is not the one we need to be paying attention to. And then you started researching it and you started crying white tears and then you was like, free Britney, (laughs) free Britney, free Britney. I'm I'm not even going to post to anybody that I know that we are doing this because I'm embarrassed that we're going to talk about Britney. But <laughs> are you embarrassed and you got your hair dyed just like her? You got all these little blind streaks trying to look more Britney. You gonna shave it next? Oh, you usually tell me I look like Ellen DeGeneres, and today you're gonna tell me I look like Britney Spears. I'll take Britney, but I, you know, I'll take what she looks like. But... <laughs> Free Katie. Free Katie, y'all. <laughs> Free Katie from this damn podcast. Um, <laughs> this Archbishop wow. that's painting ass anyway. It was interesting to learn about it. I believe my daughter was the one who said that it's a great topic to discuss, but I don't think you three are the ones who are best able to discuss it. She said that shit? She did. The shade of it all. Okay. Anyway, I think there are two issues here. There's The first issue is mental health, and the second issue is the conservatorship. I mean, the first thing is... I don't pay any attention to these influencers and popular people in the world. But, you know, I watched this uh, documentary by the New York Times about Britney last night. The Framing Britney Spears documentary, yes. That's the one. I understand that they, the New York Times was trying to present it as uh, a pro-Britney thing. But if you look at the cameras that are following her and the videos, it's, it's insane. What I will notice is... And again, it could be all constructed. But what I did notice is that initially she loved that. Like that spotlight was great. Then she got pregnant, had a child, and it shifted. And people were talking about postpartum depression and all kinds of stuff. I had postpartum depression, and I can understand the shift, the desire to just crawl under a rock. I was able to find great resources and and great help for that. But even... Within that, I could not have had just this um, constant uh, surrounding of people. And so so I'm concerned what happened with that is that they made her the butt of every joke, right? And again, it's celebrities, that people are going after them, all of that. But her mental illness was the butt of every joke of all the late night people. And it's not about Britney, really. It's about the fact that the way the folks treated Brittany or anyone else that's experiencing postpartum depression, mental illness, that makes that or deepens the stigma attached to mental illness. 
The second thing is a conservatorship, which is what people are focused on. A conservatorship is an appropriate legal protection of someone if they are unable to care for themselves, unable to care for their finances and such. And that makes sense. But initially I was like, she wants out of this. And I, I got a little white woman about it. And why can't she get out of it? What is the way that someone gets out of a conservatorship? And, you know, they talk a lot about she doesn't want her dad to be it. I mean, legally, they have to have someone that she trusts. But I was frustrated that she couldn't find a way. And then I kept digging and kept digging and realized she actually wants to stay in this. So I think the problem I have is that I have all these things of um, someone who's gone through postpartum depression, someone who has children, someone who is mama bear-like for people and wants some kind of, and I'm using air quotes, justice. But there's so many ways to go about this. But I thought there were reports that she did want out as well. Like, aren't there reports on both sides saying that she, maybe she didn't, but then I, I saw some that she did want out? So these free Britney people, there's a lot of she, I mean, the free is to get her out of the conservatorship, though. What her statement about it is that she wants this other person, I think Jody Montgomery, mm -hmm. she's the one who's taking care of her person right now to be the conservator over everything. Yes. So to me, that indicates she doesn't want out of it. She just wants somebody, somebody else new in it. The issue is the daddy for her. Right. Brittany is functioning as a bit of a mythical creature here, a little bit like Jesus. It seems to me that everyone is transposing their own opinions and perspectives onto Britney Spears, and no one actually knows what Britney really wants. And in some instances, she's even asked for privacy. Right. So I don't think that it's an uncommon experience to see someone engaging this topic and thinking that Britney wants out of the conservatorship, when in fact, the details underneath the surface suggest that she actually wants to be within a conservatorship without her father. I found it interesting. Some reports that I saw about this whole Britney and her conservatorship uh, really noted that she's been in it for 13 years. Some experts were saying that was kind of unusual, especially when most people actually seek out help for mental health issues and they've undergone treatment. So they kind of gain control over some of those things. Usually the conservatorship ends at some point. And so some people are um, have thoughts that at some point, even with Britney, she will get out of it. I found it fascinating just to hear Katie talking about this this idea that she doesn't want to because I hadn't really come across that. Even if Britney at 40 wants to be in a conservatorship, I guess one of my questions is, how does she feel about her current state of mental health, about the, the current issues that led to this conservatorship in the first place? How does she feel about the progression of her treatments? How does she feel about all of those things? You know, what, what, what are the reasons behind her wanting to still be in a conservatorship. And maybe some of you have come across that or have read some of the reasons why she wants to, to continue. Brandon, you mentioned that one of the requirements for the conservatorship is that it be managed by someone you trust. And clearly at this point, she no longer trusts her dad. I think there were reports that even her mom came out and said, you know, Brittany actually is functioning and able to make these decisions. Like she does not need Jamie managing her conservatorship, especially if she she don't trust him and she has reason not to trust him. And so there's been allegations of abuse and a number of things. And so if we were as concerned about Britney's mental health that required her to be in a conservatorship in the first place, we certainly should be concerned about these allegations of abuse from her father, who's been accused of spending, you know, more than $2 million of her money to defend himself in the public eye and legal court battles, all of this stuff. I'm not as astute as Brandon on conservatorships, but these are, these are like serious concerns. Again, most of us don't care about Britney on an everyday level. Like, we got other shit to be worried about. Mm -hmm. 
However, if this was serious enough for her to enter a conservatorship because people were so concerned about her mental health, um, then people should certainly be concerned about the fact that there are allegations of abuse, that she's lost all trust in her dad, which is really sad, actually, that her parent, her her dad, who at the beginning of this, she did have trust in. Now she's saying, dude, stealing my money. This is some white people shit. Let me tell you. And it's not even that she doesn't trust him. I mean, her language is she's afraid of him. She is scared of her father. She's afraid of him. Right. Do you know more context around why she's afraid? I did not look into this that much. The longer I got into this, the more I was like, I can't even do it. I just can't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, ultimately, the reality is this is a broken family. They're fucked up. They have tons of millions of dollars. And it's on national TV and national news because people know them. I mean, these kinds of things happen and brokenness in relationships and families happen all the time. So I'm kind of torn there, Katie, because it happens all the time. Like people deal with issues. People struggle with mental health challenges. People struggle with abuse and addiction. Rich people, wealthy people who don't end up in conservatorships. Now, on the flip side, it may have preserved a large degree of Britney's wealth, of Britney's money. They say, you know, she's still worth millions of dollars, which could very well be because of some of the legal maneuvers that that were put in place 13 years ago. You know, so in some ways, maybe this was a, a good idea at the time so that Britney didn't end up like, you know, we Come on, we could easily be on here talking about how Britney uh, spiraled, lost all her money, you know, destroyed all her kids' life and did all of this stuff and how she fell from grace and how she used to be this pop star, but nobody nobody cared about Britney's situation at that time. We were having a different conversation because different decisions were made. And so for me, it's kind of like this pool, like, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of people don't, don't end up in a conservatorship because they don't have that luxury. But how beneficial was this in the preservation of some of her monetary assets? And does that matter. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is a factor. To Katie's point from earlier, it does seem as if Britney wants to be in this conservatorship. Like, it does seem like she wants someone to function as a conservator of her person and her estate. I mean, just to rehash this again, I'm not sure if I said it earlier, but this was put in place in 2008 when Britney was 27 years old and there were a series of public incidents. I'm saying incidents, most of the internets call it a breakdown, uh, which included her shaving her head, which people thought was a cry for attention, attacking the paparazzi with an umbrella. And she also um, had maybe a couple of stints in rehab, two hospitalizations, wherein she was placed under psychiatric hold. And then she also lost custody of her two sons with her first husband. So she has a 70-30 arrangement with her husband. So, I mean, there were just a series of events. And most of the blogs attribute this to mental illness and or substance abuse. And so I think that there's an awareness of those issues on Brittany's part. And she even uses language of going through a spiritual process, right? So she's going through something spiritual and this is something that needs to be in place for her spiritual well-being and her spiritual wholeness. That's her language. I hadn't heard that um, about the spiritual stuff because one of the things that I thought is like this is a kid that's growing up and differentiating and trying to figure out who she is and the media and the public still want her to be a certain way. Her parents want her to be a certain way. That's a normal behavior. All of us have parents who want us to be something different 
or maybe it's just me. But I think that part of that is growing up, right? Part of that is figuring out who you are and who she is. So there was a part in that documentary, Framing Britney Spears, where she went in and shaved her head. And she said something, or the the narrator said something about leaving that Britney behind. It reminded me of Taylor Swift's song when she says, Taylor can't answer the phone, that Taylor's dead, or something like that. And the reality is there's this need of these performers to go, that's not me. I want to be something new. And for me, that's another layer of the mental illness and perhaps substance abuse. I mean, but you just described Christianity. How is that mental illness? Right, right. You're saying all Christians are, are, are mentally ill. Oh, That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. oh um, Let's talk about that. Have you met them? Y'all crazy-ass Christian people talking about you want to die so that you can live again in the spirit. Because <laughs> even Paul said, you know, that the old man must die and the new person got to be renewed day by day. What? That's what Brittany was doing. That's what Brittany said she was doing. That's what he said. And so we put her ass in a conservatorship and, and control her money. When she do it. Well, Jesus was technically in a conservatorship with the Father and the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. He got up those And he ended up on a cross. Oh. See them? Well, <laughs> apparently, he trusted the right one because they brought him up from the dead. You, uh, did, you, did you come to preach today? Damn. So, Brandon was right when he said Britain is kind of like Jesus because they got her on a cross. My God. Mm, mm, mm. mm. On today. My God, my God. <laughs> and that's what she's crying out today. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? She, she said, Father. Hmm. Father. Father. Why has thou why? forsaken me? Has thou forsaken me? My God, y'all done took us to church. <laughs> On today with Britney Spears. <laughs> I was going to take that turn. I was going to ask how, how does this relate to the church? But y'all, and man, good God. Well, we can go back there at the end of the episode. Just to wrap this section up, I really, really, really wanted to engage this topic because I felt like from a cursory view, there were so many spiritual, theological undertones that were informing this conversation. And I haven't heard pastors talking about this in church, in Sunday school, or in podcasts. Granted, I don't really go to church and Sunday school that much, but I'm assuming if someone were to talk about it in a church, it would likely make the YouTubes or something. And I haven't seen that. And so I wanted to try to engage it as three people who are clergy members, who are people of faith, who value spirituality. And the more that I got into it, the more that it just started to make me cringe. And it's not because I hate Britney Spears. It's not because I don't think Britney Spears is entitled to her own agency. It's not that I think all these things about Britney Spears. I, I don't have any feelings for Britney. Well, let me rephrase that. Coming into it, I didn't have any feelings about this. Zero, zilch, none, nada. The more that I read about it, I think the feeling that I felt was frustration because it seems as if what's happened is Britney is functioning as a conduit for something else. Yeah. And I'm not certain what it is. Mm -hmm. I have a few suspicions and... I'm not going to make too strong of a claim today because cancel culture is alive and well and y'all ain't about to cancel me on today. But the entry point for me was earlier this year, in April of this year, when George Floyd's murderer, Derek Chauvin, was on trial. Brittany posted a somewhat innocuous Instagram post. And by somewhat innocuous, I mean I'm almost certain that she didn't even say George Floyd's name in the post. It just so happened to be happening around the time as the Derek Chauvin trial. And she posted an image of a black man on a, it looks like he's on a bus and he's holding a sign. And the sign says, white people have generational wealth. Black people have generational trauma. Mm. 
Hashtag we are not the same. My God. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. That's what the the humans. I don't know if that I, I'm a, I'm making assumptions about that person's gender. The humans sign. Come on, pronouns. In her post, read that way, and all Britney says the only thing she says, just saying with three yelling emojis. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag BLM. That's why they wanted to shut her up. So right. So so now all these free Britney people who've been talking about Britney's in control of herself. Her mental health is okay. Britney's good. She's fine. She's not being controlled. These same individuals who was talking about how free Britney needs to be and how free Britney is in her faculties started saying, now they know you're being controlled. What? Right. So you ha- you did have a few free Britney people who was like, yes, queen. Yes, girl. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Black Lives Matter. That's how they said it? Okay. That's how they said it. And then... You had the vast majority of the people writing things like this. I mean, this is literally not true. This is called profiling, which is also racist, end quote. Another person said, and I quote, please don't go down this rabbit hole, end quote. Another user wrote, hurts to see this, end quote. Another user wrote, white person here, and I also have generational trauma, ignorant thing to post, end quote. Mm -hmm. New quote, not all white people have generational wealth. And personally, I have generational trauma, end quote. So you get someone who's posting an innocuous image in the middle of a trial where we literally watched a black man be murdered, strangled for nearly nine minutes. She posts this very indirect message and her followers go crazy. So then I said, what must be functioning behind the scenes is whiteness. (laughs) This must be another one of those things where whiteness is moving in the background in a concerted manner to really distract us from the conversations that we really need to be having. And that is not saying that Britney is not worthy of conversation. I'm saying, what is her place in the conversation? It seems as if in our society right now, it has entered a place of prominence in a manner that really does center whiteness, money, power, and white female fragility. And that's not saying mental health makes someone fragile. It is saying the way that we're talking about this, whether that be Jamie Spears, Andrew Wallet, or anybody that's using the hashtag on Instagram, we actually aren't centering Britney's voices. We're centering our own. And not taking seriously what Britney has actually said herself. It sounds a lot like Jesus. I'm still processing white people. (laughs) Good luck. And Brandon, you kept using the word innocuous. And I keep thinking, you know, how nothing that questions whiteness is innocuous to white people. They they feel triggered, threatened, and I hate to paint with broad brushes. And so forgive me. Well, no, don't don't forgive me. You know, get over it. But it's just crazy that that's the response after Britney calls out whiteness. Not individuals. She's not saying you over there, Jimmy Bob. She didn't. You know. She didn't do it. After she calls out whiteness, which is pervasive in oppressing other people, white people, even some of those who are poor, even some of those who are victimized by whiteness itself, get triggered and offended and upset and turn on the person that they're trying to advocate for. It's crazy. It is. So let's take a quick break right here because in the second part of the conversation, I want to take a turn to talk more explicitly about the ways that whiteness and power are functioning in this conversation and what we can stand to learn from that. We will be right back after this quick break. I just need us to go back to the old days when we had CDs and tapes and record players and you had to remember where you had to fast forward your song to and what point it was. Hey. Do you remember the time? I had that on tape. <laughs> Don't do it. Do you remember the time? I had a cassette tape with my Walkman with my little baby headphones. 
Yeah. You had a cassette Walkman? I'm so impressed by you. Again, I thought you were too young for that. Wow, she really got excited. Like, we all had cassette Walkmans, Katie. <laughs> well, the Walkman was Katie's iPod. <laughs> 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 well, exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> what's well, a technology marvel for her? Did you have the yellow one or like the cheap one? Oh my god! I had one that was sport edition, so that if you were running and you sweat, then it didn't mess everything up and it wouldn't like jar the cassette. Case <laughs> that I had the heaviest Walkman ever. <laughs> I wish y'all could see here in the studio how Katie just lit up when she talked about that Walkman. It was she is alive. <laughs> Well, that was like my prized possession. So let's get right back into it. When I first read about Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement, I couldn't help but feel like I was having a deja vu experience. I was just about to say I cried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was not Justin Timberlake. Nobody cried. Nobody's rivers. <laughs> uh, I didn't do it. So, uh, so honestly, I watched the Framing Britney Spears documentary a long time ago when it first came out. And mm-hmm. I made the assumption that this was going to blow over. It would be resolved. She's a rich white woman with money. It's going to be fine. That doesn't seem to be the case. It's a conversation that is now everywhere. And I can't go to any news site without seeing some sort of story about Britney Spears and a status update about what's happening in her life and in her world. But I kept feeling like this is deja vu, but I don't know what it is. And then I thought back to January the 6th of 2021. My God. I was reading like some of the articles about Britney, particularly about the Free Britney people, the movement, the, the online movement. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was reading about QAnon yeah. and all of their conspiracy theories. And the reason for that is because when I think about those QAnon conspiracy theories, they were always looking for meaning where there likely was none. Right. So you have this whole entity, this whole being Q that comes. We still don't know who Q is. We thought it was David Logerman, but he said it wasn't him. (laughs) And then he left the podcast after we said it. So it may be David. David, if you're listening, you can still tell us that you are Q. (laughs) (laughs) We still want to know. Because we believe that Q has a theological background. We still need to know the answer to that question. So you have all these people who place their hopes and their dreams inside of Q. And they believe that Trump is functioning with Q. And they're looking in Trump's tweets and trying to say, well, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by that? Trump wants us to go to the Capitol and rally. Trump wants us to go and try to reclaim the election. Trump wants us to do all of these things. And Trump don't want nothing but to make sure that Trump towers are still standing and not falling down in Miami because they're poorly constructed. So I'm looking at these posts and I'm like, they are literally sitting here trying to ascribe all this meaning to what Britney is saying and doing. She used this emoji today. Oh, did y'all see this emoji? This emoji must mean X. This emoji must mean Y. This emoji must mean this. Oh, she's wearing a yellow shirt today. The last time she wore a yellow shirt, this person who knows her said she was doing it as a cry for help. She must be calling for help once again. I'm like, y'all, what in the world are you talking about? (laughs) There's no question there. That was just a statement. Right. It was funny when you said you could turn anywhere and I was like, including to our podcast and we're talking about Britney Spears, but there is a podcast that has like over 50 some episodes that's just about whatever Britney posts on the Instas. Wow. And when she hadn't posted in a long time, they're like, where is she? She's gone missing. She's an MIA. And I was like, this is the point where it got a little crazy. And I I agree with you. It, It was that feel of QAnon. I do think that there's a way in which QAnon for me is a religious movement. I would call it a religious extremist movement. And there are so many elements of that. And I don't need to have an entire episode to talk about why QAnon is religious. I'm certain people have written about it on the internet. Go Google it. It's there. There's a culture of worship around Trump 
and around Q and around what was formerly white evangelical Christian religious rights extremism. Now it's just basically white extremism and they still sort of use Christian religious language to talk about it. But with Britney, I think people are positioning her as a deity or positioning her as a messianic figure. And so we ascribe all of these things onto her choices and we search for meaning like we're reading the signs of the end time. It's like we're reading the book of Revelations and trying to say, oh, we got to look for these signs. We got to look for these wonders. We got to look for all these things that these folks wrote about that they had no intention of us reading into the text. And so I think what I'm trying to say is I do believe that whiteness is a religion. I believe that white supremacy is a religious practice. And it seems to be the case that because it doesn't have any sort of depth or actual content associated with this religious practice, it has to map itself on to these cultural conversations around power, around privilege, around finances, around money, and around freedom. And so it utilizes Donald Trump to do that. It utilizes Barack Obama in 2008 to do that, to substantiate itself. It utilizes Britney Spears to do that. So I believe what this is, is yet another instance wherein whiteness is attempting to substantiate itself. Hmm. Did that arc make sense, the connection? It made sense in my ADHD brain, but I don't know if it made sense once the words were spoken. I think it made sense to me, too. I'm just trying to process that last statement. Whiteness substantiating itself. Substantiate isn't the word that I wanted to use. Bolster. Bolster feels a little bit closer. Like whiteness is creating a conservatorship for itself. So it does not lose power. So it does not lose money. So it does not lose wealth and prestige. Come on, Katie. Well, the doors of the church are open unto you. (laughs) By letter, by candidate for baptism. Wow. Or by Christian experience. Shit, Katie, Mm -hmm. you didn't have to end the fucking episode. (laughs) (laughs) But But you certainly painted a picture. And that is one of the ultimate functions of whiteness. Like, that's why they Mm. turned on Britney. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't come for whiteness. Don't come for whiteness, you know. Right. Oh, wow. Somebody on, I think, the two things I watched last night, they were talking about, you know, the U.S. doesn't have royalty. Brittany and Justin were this royal couple. And so they lifted up. And I think I've heard you before say, Brandon, like, there, it's, this, it's people projecting their desires to have that kind of power. Like, maybe if they follow her, they could be just like her. Wow. I mean, I'm going down a rabbit trail now because I'm thinking back to when Brittany first came out. Like, her very first song, I think it was Hit Me Baby One More Time. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, baby, baby. How was I supposed to know? And she had on the little schoolgirl outfit. And I'm thinking about it because people were so up in arms about the slutty schoolgirl mm-hmm. image. And I'm using slutty schoolgirl in air quotes because that's like a whole mm-hmm. thing if you go to certain websites. And so people were upset about it because she is this symbol of white femininity and womanness who's leaning into this promiscuity and sexuality in ways that make people uncomfortable. But it's interesting the ways in which that sort of beauty aesthetic or white white beauty aesthetic mm-hmm. was problematized in the earliest days of Britney's career. But the longer that she started to progress and to shave her head, there must be something wrong with her. She's these beautiful blonde locks and she's shaving it off. She's messing with our symbol of femininity that we also have an issue with because it's too sexual. Right. So there's like a desire now to preserve this 1998 Britney where she's talking about, oh, baby, baby. Sam, come on with it. Katie done opened the doors of church. You gonna let Katie out preach you. <laughs> Today? <laughs> Today she will. You know, don't be one of those preachers, Brandon, that got to get up and preach behind somebody to preach a good sermon. Just let it be a good sermon. Uh-uh, I got to get up and preach. If there's a guest preacher who preached better than me last week, I'm going to jump on the mic at the end before I open the doors of the church, and I'm going to piggyback off of that sermon. Because what you're going to remember now, see, is your pastor can preach. You a, yeah. <laughs> I, I 
suddenly white people did that. Y'all learned that from us. <laughs> if like an intern or an associate is preaching, the head of staff is going to do a pastoral prayer that lasts about as long as the sermon before <laughs> the person preached. I, I'm, not, I'm like, dude, you got the day off. And usually it is a dude because they're only the head of staff. So I'm like, come on. My liturgy tells me, well, not my liturgy. What is it called? Yo, patriarchy. My protocol. It's patriarchy for sure. But Your misogyny. <laughs> my religious protocol is deeply embedded in patriarchy and misogyny. And you got to make sure you get the last word in the service. Oh, so now you're going to do that, right? It's part of the liturgy. I got to honor the tradition. <laughs> I'm kidding. And what's so intriguing about that, Katie, this notion that whiteness is trying to create us a conservatorship for itself is I still believe that that is religious. I still believe that that is deeply liturgical. And I think a phenomenon that I'm interested in observing, I'm not going to write no books about it because that's not my calling. I hope that somebody who likes to write these books will do so. But one of my favorite poets, Michael Harriet, recently wrote a piece on The Root where he was talking about how white people have basically given up on religion and Jesus and trying to codify their whiteness and their white supremacy through the language and theology of Christianity. Basically, at this juncture, they just like, hey, we white, we like to be white, and all that we care about is being white. We don't care about pro-choice. We don't care about pro-life. We don't care about any of those things. What we care about is whiteness. And it's a very compelling piece by Michael Harriet. I love, 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 love Michael. And we'll link the piece in the show notes. But for me, I believe that who and what we worship has been changing for years. And I think whenever Christianity chose to get in bed with the American empire, which was at its inception, um, and that's not the first time that Christianity has tethered itself to an empire or some sort of powerful entity. But the longer that that sort of symbiotic relationship has persisted, the more and more that whiteness became uncomfortable playing second fiddle. We talk about how in black churches we embellish the creation story and talk about how the devil came to be and how Lucifer was the minister of music. Oh, yeah. Right? The choir director. Choir director. Lucifer got tired of doing all this orchestration and all this work for somebody else's praise and worship. And Lucifer wanted the praise for himself. And Mm -hmm. that's what resulted in him being cast down right? And to becoming a serpent. That's what led to that condition. Because he tried to take over. He tried to overthrow heaven. In some ways, I believe whiteness has functioned as Lucifer in this story. And so it's been sitting here, or Christianity, I don't, I don't know which came first, the Christianity or the white supremacy. So you calling whiteness the devil or Christianity the devil? Both and. Because, <laughs> depending on how you read it, right? Whiteness is for a while comfortable being the parasite, comfortable being the bottom feeder. But you can only go on so long before it's like, I really want all the power and authority for myself. I guess what I'm trying to contend is that whiteness is now positioning itself as the deity more clearly, more explicitly, and utilizing our human bodies in order to do so. It was interesting. Earlier, you said something about whiteness or white supremacy being a religion. And when you said that, my I, I paused because I said, is it positioning self as a religion or is it positioning self as a deity? Yeah. Is it doing the worshiping or is it characterizing itself as something to be worshipped? Yep. I think you should have said that. I just did. <laughs> I think that you are right. Yeah. It is not the religion. It's the deity <laughs> itself. And there is a religion that is now coming around that. And our pastors, our religious leaders, the ones who point us to the deity are people like Britney Spears. The ones who point us to the deity are people like Donald Trump. And in a very strange way, the ones who point us to the deity are people like Barack Obama. 
they're the pastors. Wait a minute. What I done told you about that shit? <laughs> I was like, waiting for Sam to react. I'm not saying that was Barack's intention. I'm saying that because of how he positioned himself in this country and the president he was and the moderate he tried to be, he positioned himself as the archbishop of the church of white supremacy. Whatever. Yeah, I agree with all of it. I'm just not sure that it has evolved to be that. I think it always has been that. It's just that that is that people are becoming aware of it as we some people start to broaden their perspectives or their understandings or their intercultural conversations. They're starting to realize that. So I'm not sure that it's shifted. It's just more honest and in your face. Correct. Because you, you can't identify people as three-fifths of a person and have any kind of God other than white supremacy. Mm. You're preaching today, Katie. You came in here to preach on today, but I guess it's the gall now. The unmitigated gall, my grandmama would say. Oh, now you're doing it right out in... Oh, they wasn't doing it right out in, during three-fifths? Well, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I agree with you. That's the thing, but it's we're, people are seeing it. Right. It's always been done. I mean, but to, to Sam's point, it was, it was done in the past, but what we thought we were doing yeah. is we thought we were following that path where the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice and that we were coming out of that. And that we were overcoming that. But I think what we're starting to see is that we never were overcoming it. It was just morphing in the background, becoming whatever it needed to be in a given moment to survive. And right now it's tethering itself to celebrities. Mm. So, wait. So, white supremacy is both Lucifer and the deity. It has to be all the characters. I think whiteness is the deity and white supremacy is the religion. And white supremacy itself is like what the Apostle Paul said, I must become all things to all men so that I can by any means save some. That's what we see the progression throughout time. It was one mm-hmm. thing during slavery. It was another thing during like white supremacy transforms and it uh, is transmogrified to use a word from Joe Clark, lean on me. And it becomes whatever it needs to become. Come on, lean on me. Huh? It huh? becomes whatever it needs to become. It's, it's whiteness. It's evil. Well, and Katie, you're not going to like this, but I think, you know, the question that I now ask is, so if whiteness is the deity and white supremacy is the religion, then what is Christianity? And I would suggest that Christianity is a demigod. Mm. It's a demigod that's deputized to do whiteness as bidding. What if the people don't know what a demigod is? <laughs> A demigod or a demigoddess or a demigod them is part human and part divine, and it's typically an offspring of a deity and a human. You saying white supremacy birthed Christianity? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, in the in the American context. Period. I truly believe that we have to contextualize Christianity, and we can't just continue to proceed as if Christian scripture articulates a tradition that's been alive from the beginning of time. Judeo-Christian scripture doesn't start with Christianity; right. it starts with Judaism. It doesn't even start with Judaism. It starts pre-religion. Like there's no organized religion in the Garden of Eden. It's just a relationship with God. You believe in the garden? I knew you was going to ask me that. Oh, you a creationist now? You a creationist? I am definitely not that. (laughs) You know that. But for me, it's not about fact or fiction. It's about the fact that this creation story is making a claim about how life should be. And that claim should embolden a certain way of life among the people who read it. But that's another episode for another day. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that American Christianity definitely is a child of white supremacy. Absolutely. And I believe the only function it has ever had in American context is to enslave people physically and enslave people mentally and spiritually as well. I would even go so far as to say that American Christianity is not Christianity at all Hmm. and that it is something altogether different. 
created, like you said, or birthed from white supremacy. I don't, I don't, I can't really articulate what exactly it is. It's some kind of monster that was birthed. It's not a real child. You know, it's not, it's, it's not Christianity. It's not. There still is a part of me that really wants to remove all of those labels because at the end of the day, just chasing this thought a little bit further, we're a long way from Britney Spears right now, or maybe we're not. But I would like to look historically at what has claimed Christianity in the past and to what has Christianity tethered itself. Do we view white supremacy and Christianity to have a symbiotic relationship, a codependent relationship where they can't function with one without the other? And it's not only American Christianity that has to be problematized. It's also the Roman Empire's claiming of Christianity in order to suppress the people who were starting to rail against the empire. So Christianity ain't clean. When I think about how Black folks have claimed Christianity and why Black folks claimed Christianity, it was a survival strategy in many instances. Now, there still is a way in which a survival strategy can embed within you the logic of white supremacy, domination, and oppression, but it was claimed an attempt to liberate and to challenge the oppressive logic of white supremacy. And I think the unintended effect is that it, I, I, I want to say reprogram because it really didn't reprogram the generations to come, but it, but it, it programmed in some way the, the following generations. Like you said, it was a survival strategy. Yes, it was a, a survival strategy, but now it's become embedded theology for, um, for current generations. It's, it's a part of our identity now. And so that's why I say, you know, all of it in some some ways is not authentic Christianity. But then what is authentic Christianity? So to bring it full circle back to Britney Spears, there is a way in which I think whiteness needs a conservatorship. It needs someone to do its bidding. And I think all of the drama around free Britney, I don't know all the details, but from the outside looking in, it appears to be the case that Britney's daddy and Britney's lawyer and all these other people who have functioned as conservator or co-conservator throughout the last several years have been pimping Britney's success and pimping Britney's whiteness and her appeal to sort of white supremacist heteronormative logic. And so Britney Spears in this conversation is actually a stand-in for a broader conversation that has larger political, social, and religious implications for how we're organizing our life together. At the end of the day, if you want to free Britney, then the only thing that we need to be saying is not do X, right? It's not the fact that we need to say, make sure that this person is Britney's conservator or make sure this person is not, but it's, hey, what does it mean for Britney to have a voice? What does it mean for Britney to be able to speak? And even if Britney Spears herself believes she needs a conservator, what does it mean for her to have the agency to claim that and name that for herself and not fans, not critics, and not a member of her family who she clearly doesn't trust and with whom she doesn't feel safe. Uh, this is still a white people conversation. I, I, I enjoy talking about Britney, but I don't give a damn about Britney or her conservatorship. Black people ain't got that luxury. <sighs> this is about white privilege. Exactly. But nah, free Britney, y'all. Free Britney from your expectations. All the white folks listening, I didn't mean to offend you. Yes, you did. You did mean it. And if you did mean it, that's fine. Because I think that dovetails nicely with what I have in mind for an invitation today. So a brief word of invitation. Free Britney Spears from your expectations. In many ways, this is a white people issue. As I've already said, I do not see any black folks really involved in this conversation. And for the few that I have seen, there's so much nuance and they're connecting with something particular and talking about it in very intersectional terms. We all have to stop mapping our ideas of justice onto other people 
Because oftentimes when we're doing social media activism and we're hashtag free Britneying, from my vantage point, that's a way of engagement that has the form of justice but denies its power. It has the form of justice but denies its nuance, right? Or the form of justice but denies its complexity. You ain't never going to see me out on these streets protesting for a millionaire. And if Britney says she want to be left alone, well, damn it, I'm going to leave her alone. She says she wants this to be private and she wants y'all to be quiet. So free Britney, y'all, and free yourselves. Don't let whiteness trick you into a pseudo-justice fight because it loves to do it. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and Aints. We are so grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod. If you happen to be listening in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, please leave an honest rating and review. One of the things that we love most is connecting with you, our listeners. So send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to connect with us, ask a question, submit a discussion topic, or just to say hello. And please, please, please head on over to theolabmedia.com. Click the purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen and send a voicemail that'll be included in our 25th episode celebration in a few weeks. And last but not least, you know that word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Church of Holy Shit. So take five seconds to share this episode with a friend who needs to laugh or that relative who needs to be challenged. All right, good people. We will be back next week, same time, same place, talking about my boo, Lil Nas X, and the industry, baby. Until then, peace. Ooh.